0: Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele.
1: And I'm Joey Boudreaux. And
0: we are excited because on a previous um, podcast, Joey, we talked about one of our recipients a year out, and they were able to sign up for college classes, which they never thought they would be able to do. Well, guess what? I got a text message, somebody on campus, first day of classes, done, in the books. Awesome. And she said it was wonderfully Challenging. So you've got to love that. Her name's Savannah, and we feature her on our Facebook page um, as well. But that was just a great story that spread like wildfire. And we're hoping that you do the same if you have a story like that or you see one, share it with your friends or share this podcast.
1: Yeah, Laura, you can find us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast app may be.
0: Yeah, while I'm in the car, I. Put those puppies on and listen, and it's so easy to do. Also on Facebook, I mentioned that earlier, Donate Life Louisiana. So see it, share it, be a part of making life happen. Today we're going to be talking about how many people, how many people with special talents does it take to make life happen? So we'll kind of walk you through that.
1: That's going to take a while, Laura. Yes. And, And we'll be interviewing in our community segment a very special lady who happened to be a living donor for her husband.
0: A firecracker, I can tell. Uh, also, electronic medical records. We're going to talk about that, how we use that to make life happen as well.
1: And in our final segment, we're going to be, as we do in every podcast, we'll be honoring a hero.
0: And taking your questions and answers, all here on the Gifted Life Podcast. <music> Today on the Gifted Life Podcast, we want to talk about just how many people are involved in a case? Because we always talking about people with these different talents coming together, but yeah. we never really covered the different aspects. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, Laurie, a lot of people think most of what we do centers around just like transporting an organ. From a donor hospital to a transplant center, and there's so much more uh-huh. from a logistical standpoint and from a personnel standpoint that takes place. It's so much that I'm gonna kind of divide it into a couple different groups. Okay. You know, uh, yeah,
0: because when I watch TV or a it, movie, it's it's pretty quick and well, there's not that many steps. <laughs> generally,
1: on Grey's Anatomy or one of the TV shows, you'll have the physician calling UNOS, you know, mm-hmm. our United Network of Organ Sharing, and then all of a sudden there's a transporter that comes with the heart that they needed. And that's not the, real, you know, case in, in real life. Mm-hmm. We have so many people dedicated to so many aspects of the process. Mm-hmm. And it starts with our family advocates from our standpoint, from LOPA's standpoint, the first people on site and the first people there to support both the hospital staff and the families are the family advocates. Mm-hmm. And they're working at the beginning of an o- basically the onset of a case. They're working with calling the coroner, making sure that, that the coroner is aware and making sure that we can help them out in any way that we can in their investigation. Mm-hmm. They're also communicating with pastoral care, palliative care. Of course, there are ICU doctors, ICU nurses already you know, involved that are trying to save this person's life, you know, and, and this kind of. Transition of care Mm -hmm. takes place through them. You know, so they're such an integral part. There's also lab technicians who have to draw labs for us just to make sure. We have to make sure that, that these are good life saving organs so that someone can live on. That's just the beginning of a case. And then with kind of what I call the recovery phase of the case or the critical care part of the case, we have a lot of working with uh, the recovery coordinators from LOPA and then as we've spoken before, our placement coordinators, the placement coordinators are the ones that help find the home. They're the ones that work hand in hand with the transplant center coordinators to make sure that this particular donor is the best match for that particular recipient. And of course, you've got your transplant surgeons. I mean, you can't, mm, you know, right? can't, forget, can't forget about them. And then, and this is all in the preparation phase, and kind of the ICU phase, and the evaluation phase of the process. And then, you've got the the entire recovery phase in the OR. You know, and that's where we have a huge team working uh, with us uh, from the hospital. We do have anesthesiologists there because. You know, a brain dead person still needs to be ventilated, right. and we still have to maintain a blood pressure until the recovery can take place. So, we do have anesthesia there, and we've got, you know, the OR nurses and scrub techs from the hospital standpoint. And we also have our own we have an OR coordinator who works with our recovery coordinator outside of the sterile field, so to speak. And then uh, we've got, you know, our own scrub tech who works within the sterile field and works hand in hand with our transplant surgeons and in the hospital staff. So this is, you know, and I, I made a big list here, but and there's so many other people that I can touch, you know, touch right. on. But, but just to give you an idea, all of these people and there are multiple, you know, these are, these are, are positions, but there are multiple people within each mm-hmm. of these positions mm-hmm. on almost every case. There are literally 10s, 20s, you know, to maybe even up to a 100 people working on any one particular case at a time to make life happen.
0: So a couple of things I took away from this. Number one, how important is it uh, right. to make life happen that we put, you know, this many resources this effort, these many, right. this many people? I'm in awe of the number of people because you never see that. Like, people don't see that side of it. And then I'm very grateful to know most of these people who dedicate their lives because cases could take how long?
1: They, they, our average case is over a day long. You know, it's, it's yeah. usually around a day and a half or so. And it's because there's, again, so much that's involved to make sure that, mm-hmm. that it's the most suitable organ, you know, and, and the, the best donor for that particular recipient. And we can save the most lives that we can mm-hmm. in honor of that hero and his family.
0: And I'm just grateful that these people choose to put their talents to this cause, making life happen. Joey, guess what?
1: What is that, Lori? We
0: have a little firecracker to talk to today, a living donor who has quite the story to tell. And can't wait for you to talk to her a little bit. But Vanessa Anderson is joining us by phone. Hey, Vanessa. Hi, Lori. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, hang on one second. I want to show Joey this picture of you. See her hair? You see, yeah. (laughs) I'm liking you, Vanessa. Yeah, a little firecracker, (laughs) a little (laughs) sass. We love it. So we're looking at a picture of Vanessa, beautiful floral dress, vibrant, wonderful. And just looking at her picture, you wouldn't think that she was tied to donation in any way, but you are so tied to donation. So we appreciate you taking the time today. And I'm Mm going to ask you to talk to us about donation and how your life just became so involved.
2: Okay, great. Thank you. Actually, I work at Oxnard Hospital, and one of the jobs that I absolutely loved at Oxnard was to meet with the transplant patients before they actually met with the physicians. I would kind of give them a breakdown about um, what would happen, who they would meet, and stuff like that. So I met a lot of donors. I knew about transplantation firsthand. So when my husband got sick, it didn't even dawn on me. He came home one day, he said, Vanessa, they think I'm going to have to go on dialysis or get a transplant. And it just kind of was in denial. It didn't even dawn on me that he was that sick until I started seeing the changes in his color, his personality. He was depressed all the time. He was just not able to do the things that a young man would be able to do in his, in his 30s. Now, well, this, this was, when like, I, right after you guys married or, or pretty soon it after? Was very, it was shortly after. When I met him, I knew he was on insulin, di- you know, he was an insulin-dependent diabetic, so I knew he was sickly. Okay. But it just got worse once we got married because I love to cook, so I did a lot of cooking. He did a lot of eating, stuff <laughs> that he probably shouldn't have had, and so his health just started to deteriorate shortly after we got married. So I would probably say about two years after.
0: Oh, wow. So that is pretty quick. So yes. fell into a depression, um, mm-hmm. you know, which you guys are verbal about. And yes. you were, as I'm sure, most loving wives. What can I do at this point, right?
2: Yes, I was concerned. He, I, he went to have his a little shot put in, I guess, whatever to so he can have his dialysis um, done. He was doing peritoneal dialysis. Mm-hmm. So the nurse called me. She said, your husband is not very good at this. He's too unhappy. He's not talking. It's like it's killing him slowly. Mm-hmm. And he would come home a totally different person. And I saw this. And I said, I have to do something. so I remember calling the transplant nurse and asking, how can, can I be a donor? And I remember my whole office standing around me, we were nervous right? wrecked. They knew about it, I never kept it a secret. I was 100% vested in being a donor mm-hmm. if something should happen to me. So this was an opportunity for me to be a donor, a living donor. Right. And I was 100% aboard. I didn't really know the pain that was associated with it or anything like that. I just knew I had to fix him, help him. That was my goal.
0: Okay. And so, and so- was he on the, um, the the transplant list waiting and then... It took a while, so you stepped in, or it was. No, I did actually, not get to that he, point.
2: No, he was on the list uh-huh. um, for kidney pancreas. And once I told them that I wanted to be tested for a living donor for his kidney, mm-hmm. they immediately just put him. Once I qualified and passed all the testing and stuff like that, then he was just listed for a pancreas. But he had been on the list, but it wasn't very long because the wait time they told me would be about three years. And yeah. I could not see him lasting three mm-hmm. years on dialysis. It just
1: wasn't going to happen. And, Vanessa, the amazing part is, and I've talked to quite a bit of, you know, living donors and, and families mm-hmm with uh, loved ones who are in need and so often they'll have immediate family like they'll go through one after the other after the other of immediate family that tries and gets tested to because they want to donate and they can't it yeah. is just it is just amazing that that you ended up being a perfect match right
2: Absolutely. I was a perfect match. His family, um, they didn't qualify to even be to donate. They had high blood pressure, diabetes or something themselves. So they were smokers. I didn't do any of those things. I didn't have high blood pressure. I, I never smoked. I wasn't a drinker. I was in pretty good health. I wanted to do it. I didn't care. You know, I know my family wasn't 100% on board because they didn't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But I was in the transplant world. I know I could survive after this. I could do good. And I wanted to help him. I wanted him alive with me. You know, okay. I didn't want him any other way. I wanted him back to the old dime.
0: Right. Now, what did he think? About you wanting to do that? Because I know my husband's like, oh, we don't want anything to happen to you. You know, it's surgery, that kind of thing. So so what was that conversation like?
2: Now, that was weird because he was scared for me. Yes. Um, I knew more about it than he did. He mm-hmm. was afraid. He didn't want my help to deteriorate or what if I got in an accident and I would need that Kidney, and we didn't. We don't have kids together, so I knew I didn't have any children that I have to worry about that could develop this disease and would need that. And he was all I had. He's my life. You know, he's my husband. So whatever I can do for him, whatever the pain was, I was willing to do it. I asked the nurse, you know, how how painful would it be? And he saying, have you ever had a baby? I'm like, no. He said, it's probably that kind of pain, but I didn't know what that pain was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a baby, so I didn't know. I said, well, I'm willing to take that chance.
0: Oh, and I love so this it was a no-brainer for me. And I can hear it. Like You've, you've convinced me you're going to do it too. Uh, but I love in your story that he had a knack for fixing things, but when it came to this, you were the fixer and mm-hmm. uh, and really his little sunshine,
2: right? Yes, yes. He told me, though, um, you know, Vanessa, do you really want to do this? I said, sweetheart, if I can give my heart and live without it, You'd have it, Aww. so it to me was nothing. And I remember the social worker talking to me, asking me, "Did my husband offer me any money?" I said, "I wish he would. I take <laughs> it. You know, I could use the extra money." But they wanted to make sure I was like in no abusive situation and I was being threatened. I said, "No, my husband's not even a, a, a angry man. He doesn't. He's not one that gets mad and scream or anything like that. He was afraid for me. This is what right. I wanted to do. One hundred percent my decision."
1: So Vanessa, can you take us, uh, I guess, through the surgery and and how the the kind of the recovery phase for you as a living donor and, uh, of course, for okay. Don as well.
2: Okay. Well, I remember when we both went in and it was so, they had us both in like the same holding area and we were holding hands all hooked up. Aww. I was not nervous. I was so not nervous. Um, I was more nervous for another surgery that I had a hysterectomy versus this. Mm-hmm. This was nothing to me. I was so prepared for it. Yeah. We were holding hands. We said a prayer together and I said, baby, I'm going to be there for you when you come out. Um, I did not realize that I would need as much help as I did because being abdominal and stuff like that I couldn't sit up right. and I, my husband was walking to me with pancakes the next day you know he was so he was doing so well I couldn't even sit up to see the pancakes uh-huh. so I thought I, I didn't know the extent of the extension of the cuts and stuff like that right. it was just that part I asked the doctor to let me stay in one extra day because I didn't want to leave him there mm-hmm. you know I was so Aww. concerned about him and I was the one that was in more pain than he was but I didn't mm-hmm. want to leave him I didn't want to go home and worry about him. So I, the don't no, right? <laughs> I don't see a doctor
0: telling her no, right? I don't see that. He
2: told me yes. I <laughs> said, Dr. Blake, it was wonderful. He oh, said, yeah. sure, no problem. And so I stayed that extra day. Um, the only difference that I saw in him, his mood was that, that the um, anti-rejection drugs he was different. He was snappy. He was mean. And I remember calling the doctor crying. Why is my husband fussing at me? I just gave him a kidney. He should be happy. And the doctor laughed. He thought it was so funny. He said, oh, you got your feelings hurt. I said, yes, he hollered at me. He said, Vanessa, if the drugs is only intensifying whatever emotions he's feeling, it's not changing him. He's just, he's anxious because the drugs are making him hyper and that's why, you know, it's like his nerves is bad. I couldn't understand him fussing at me right after the transplant. To me, well, you should be thanking me why are you fussing at me and I remember that being the only issue that I had with um, the feelings about the transplant directly after
1: and after that though obviously and you and I we kind of had a little discussion uh, off fair you guys yeah. have celebrated a monumental anniversary just this yeah. past summer
2: yes absolutely he reminded me we were out to dinner I knew it was in July I'm not good with dates so I just knew it was July right before Katrina. That's all I could remember because we had to run from the storm when we were both was yeah. off from work. And he said, "You know what today is?" I said, "What?" Well, he said, "Today is the 10-year anniversary of you giving me the kidney." Uh. I said, "What?" I said, "Well, let's have a glass of wine because I just completely forgot about that." <laughs> I mean, the pain is such in the past; yeah. it doesn't phase me, you know. And I would do it again and again and again. And the saddest part was when we were waiting. I'm going through the lab work for the transplant, saw a lot of other men, they were by themselves, they didn't have family support, and I asked them, you know, are you waiting for a transplant, and they said yes. Their wives wouldn't do that for them, you know, or they said they couldn't deal with the illness, and they left them, and that never would have dawned on me to leave my husband mm-hmm. sick like that or not even try so I don't know what kind of people they were married to, but I'm in it. I'm 100% in it. Girl, we can tell. In I in love it. it. But I'm I in have it. A, I'm in it.
0: I have a, a very important question, and I just need to go on the record with this, Vanessa, if you could be okay. honest with me. Uh, okay. Do you still get pancakes or what? <laughs> oh,
2: my goodness. He tried to make banana pancakes and <laughs> banana. It had too much banana <laughs> in it. But I, I, I told him, baby, let's just do the regular pancakes. <laughs> but he's trying. Yep. He's trying. He's trying. He's a good guy, uh, you know, and he's a very good guy. And then, you know what, the, the weird thing, he was getting ready to get discharged that Sunday, mm-hmm. and they had a pancreas for him. So he called me. I was, remember being at the house with a bunch of my friends and family around, and I was crying. I said, they offered him a, ki- a pancreas. I said, Don, you got to take it, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I, the doctor said that he would get a pancreas by itself, normally they'd give it to people who waiting for a kidney and right. a pancreas so he got the pancreas and I encouraged him to go ahead and do it. I couldn't be at the hospital with him because I was still recovering. Right. And I was the doctor had to talk to me. They had to call me every every time they had a chance to let me know how he was doing. I had all my family and friends at the hospital with him. It was killing me that I could not be there right. for him to, you know, to see him through this. But I encouraged him, you do this. We yeah. we come through this too far to turn around. Mm. You know, you needed this pancreas. So and things so are he got it so everything was perfect.
0: And so for 10 years so far, so good? So far, so good. No issues whatsoever. Nothing. <gasps> I love amazing. it. Nothing. I can. I, I like this woman. Oh, yeah. Okay, we need to have lunch, okay? <laughs> we just like you.
1: Oh, please do. <laughs> just a nice restaurant.
0: I'll make you some yeah. banana pancakes, <laughs>
1: Not so much banana. Uh, no, I'll take the regular ones. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you.
0: Well, we appreciate you joining us, sharing your story. Tell your husband thank mm-hmm. you as well for allowing us to um, just get a glimpse of what life is like when it comes to living donation. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It's wonderful. I tell anyone, don't even hesitate. You can live. You can survive after. You know, I just make sure that I don't, I don't um, get into any health issues. I, I exercise. I try not to, um, you know, develop high blood pressure or something like that because in the black community, that's one of the reasons you can actually go into kidney failure. So I do everything to make sure I am still alive to celebrate 20, 10 more years with my husband yes. and many more after that. And many more. I agree with you. Many, many more.
1: You know, you are such a, a testament to uh, making life happen for us.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for this opportunity, you know, to share my story. I'm so excited. I met somebody at a, uh, I went to a transplant conference, mm-hmm. and I met someone from Donate Life. And from that point on, I've been getting, you know, a lot of people um, asking me about donation. And in, in my job, you know, I'm walking around with my flyer telling everybody my story. And they now signed up to be a donor. They didn't even think that you could... Survive or that they wanted to do anything like this mm-hmm. until they met me and knew about my story. So I'm very grateful for my job allowing me to even meet
1: the people from Donate Life.
0: You're the best. We appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Joey.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Vanessa. Y'all have a wonderful day. You, you too. too.
0: Hey, Joey. Guess what?
1: What's going on? We're
0: going to be talking about some technology that actually Lopa created
1: with your help. (laughs) This is the funny
0: twist to it, right?
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's my help. Listen to you. (laughs) Listen to
0: you. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, we're going to talk about all that, but we had to, uh, you know, pull in the big guns today to kind of talk to us about this electronic medical record system that we have here at LOPA that others are using as well, and to just kind of give you an idea of what is all encompassed in that. So Michelle DeVerney is here, and she's our Director of Clinical Excellence for LOPA. How are you? I am good. How are you today? Good. Thanks for being here. No problem. Now we are talking about um, R cubed is what we call it, but R cubed to you means what? Um, R cubed
3: means a lot of things. <laughs> uh, people call it R cubed. People call it R three. Right. Um, and I'm not sure even that everybody knows exactly what that stands
0: for. <laughs> I learned. I learned this morning. Yep.
3: Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did you learn?
0: Referrals, resources. Oh, reports. And reports. Yes. You give an A. Yay! A <laughs> R- plus. Okay.
3: Re- reports, and resources.
0: I just know that's where all the information is that we need, right? Yep. Correct. Basically. All right, so tell us about R-Cubed. Tell us about Joey helping you, mm-hmm. Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> um, R-Cubed
3: is our donor system where we keep all of our information on uh, every donor and referral that comes into this agency from both an organ and the tissue perspective. The system was created back in 2001. We started using it in 2002. Okay. Uh, History goes back a little further than that. We had tried as an agency to use several other programs that were out there but decided that none of them really fit mm-hmm. what we needed and what we wanted to use the system for. So, uh, Kelly decided that we would just take the plunge and create our own.
1: <laughs> and of course, Kelly Random, our CEO couldn't be happier with, you know, its development and how where, where we began, you know, in 2013 years ago to where it is now.
0: Well, that's one way to do it, right?
3: Tailor it to our needs. It's the best way to do it, so uh, it doesn't make any sense if it doesn't work for what you want to use it for. So R-Cubed was created, and we initiated using it back in 2002. So the main reason that R-Cubed was created was to house all of the information when we are actually doing an organ donor. Uh, the on-site coordinators can actually enter the information straight into the system, which can then be seen by the placement coordinator, who, of course, we know is in our Methery office.
1: Right. The placement coordinator is the one that actually finds the home's and sends that information to the transplant center so that they can make the right decision for their transplant patients.
0: Right. So placing the organs placement. Okay, I'm there. Um, cube does a whole lot more, but why the need to switch over? Um, we were talking about um, taking handwritten information and trying to put it into the computer. And that in itself, I can see where there would be a problem okay. built in.
3: There, there were several problems, Lori. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was the biggest one.
0: What Really? I did not know
3: that part. <laughs> he he hint, was hint. one of several big problems. <laughs> so uh, speaking as a placement coordinator back when our cubed uh, you know initiated, the on-site coordinators would handwrite all of the information onto a paper chart. Okay. and then they would fax it to the placement room. And then the placement coordinator would try and decipher what mm-hmm. the on-site coordinator had That's, written.
1: It was a challenge.
3: Um, it, was, it was the biggest mm. challenge of placement back in the day because we had several coordinators, Joey being in the top three, of Ooh. people whose handwriting we could not read.
1: Got a medal. <laughs>
3: <laughs> good chance you're good at other things. So right? yeah. We tried even asking them to print. Right. Didn't work. Couldn't even read the
0: print. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. And we know everything is time-sensitive as well. So how do we alleviate the problem and how do we make things go faster, more efficient? And that's when R-Cubed was born, basically? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And less chance for error. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, also with um, R-Cubed is how I refer to it, but referrals, reports, resources, not only with organ allocation, but you can track so much more with this system. You can.
3: There are screens built in and sections, um, family services, our, our wonderful group of people who follow up and keep in touch with all of our donor families can track all of the correspondence, phone calls, any information that they need so they can always have it at their fingertips uh, when they get a call from a donor family looking for more information. We can track development activity in there. We can uh, track calendars of hospital community, education, community projects, and also uh, from a hospital perspective and professional education.
0: And so have we found that um, less chance for error and we are more successful through this? Yes, yes. And one
3: of the other great things about our CUBE is any time a hospital calls in a referral, a potential donor, one of the things that's built into the system is it will automatically check our Louisiana donor registry to see if that patient is registered. Fancy. So we know going into every referral, you know, we have a little bit of an edge in what the plan might be, Mm -hmm. knowing that this uh, individual signed up to be a donor or if they didn't, and that helps us in the conversations with the family.
0: So I'm seeing all kinds of positives um, from a timing perspective, efficiency perspective, right? And so we continue to use this system but we're not the only ones who use this system.
3: We're not. There are several other OPOs who have started using this system, um, Mississippi being one of them. Now, you know, they use the basic system, mm-hmm. but individually we are able to update what works better for LOPA. Right. And on the same side, they're able to update whatever screens or whatever fields works better mm-hmm. to to help mm-hmm. them work more efficiently. Just because we do an update for LOPA doesn't mean that it automatically gets updated in the Mississippi system.
1: And I think that's one of the best parts about our cube is, is its flexibility. Yeah. You know, because we we see issues, you know, or we see things that that maybe we need to change because of, you know, you know standards or the governmental standards in in organ donation. And then we see, okay, well, we need to make a change here, here, and here, and we can just make that change.
0: It grows with and, us,
1: and like she said, mm-hmm. with Mississippi, if they've got different modifications, they need it can then they can change it on their own. It doesn't, it's not this big, long, cumbersome, mm-hmm. you know, uh, tedious process.
3: Well, good, right? And an example of that might be coroners. Mm-hmm. You know, the closer we work with coroners, and the more information we find out they may require different information from us than the coroners in Mississippi right. require from the OPO sure. in Mississippi. So we can tailor our coroner screen to meet the needs of Louisiana
0: coroners. So Michelle, before you go, I did want to talk to you a little bit about donor net. Can you fill us in on that and how R-Cube plays a part? Yes. DonorNet is UNOS's electronic system. Okay, so UNOS is United Network for Organ Sharing.
3: Correct. And they are the national company who houses all of the information on every single patient waiting for a life-saving organ transplant Mm -hmm. in the country. Whenever any OPO is doing an organ donor, the basic donor information is inputted into the DonorNet system. Based on the information that's entered, a printout of potential recipients is then provided to the OPO. And this is what our placement coordinators use to make the offers to the transplant centers to eventually find the perfect recipient for each organ from every donor.
0: And so this is generic
3: information that's being... It's very generic, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, the, The initial information to create the list consists of nothing more than an age, a height, a weight, a blood type, a location. Um, So it's very generic um, because, you know, from a, a, a placement perspective, all organs are attempted to be placed local before going regionally and nationally. So DonorNet came up. Somewhere around 2007, yeah,
1: somewhere around that,
3: yeah. lucky for us that we already had our cube in place, and it was working as a great system for us. Mm-hmm. So it was a very easy transition. The main purpose of DonorNet, prior to DonorNet, the placement coordinators would physically make a phone call to the transplant center, and they would verbally give all of the information mm-hmm. to that coordinator at the transplant center, who would then turn around and verbally give all uh-huh. that information mm-hmm. to yeah. the transplant surgeon to decide if they were going to accept this organ for the patient being offered to.
1: Lots of room for error there.
3: Lots of room for error. And time. Time. Yeah. It probably took an average of 20 to 25 minutes to give a verbal offer. Wow. So with the creation of DonorNet came the creation of electronic offers. So no longer did we have to physically call and give every piece of information. We could go into DonorNet. We could click the first two potential recipients, hit a button, and then all the information was then transferred to the transplant center. They get a notification that they have an offer pending. So because we sent them that offer, they now have access to read all of the donor information in DonorNet. Wow, which makes things a lot easier, mm-hmm. which makes things a lot quicker, mm-hmm. and less There's potential for error. Mm-hmm.
1: And saves more lives.
3: Absolutely. The faster, the all better. Right. So our cubed for us, was an easy transition to create what we call an upload. So every time that we are doing an organ donor, our on-site coordinators are putting all of the donor information straight into our cubed once the information is in, or anytime there's additional information, our placement coordinators create what we call an upload, and that information is electronically moved from our Cubed straight into DonorNet. So we don't have to look at the screen in our Cubed and then physically type the information in the screen in DonorNet, right. which again, much less chance for an error, faster and just more efficient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's probably been uh, one of the, the best changes and improvements in the last few years from the the organ placement perspective, you know, as it relates to R-Cubed.
0: Yeah, I can hear that. So R-Cubed referrals, reports, resources. Michelle, we thank you. Joey, thank you, because it sounded know, like you were on the ground level right of now. this switch here, bud.
1: I'm going to thank my mom.
0: <laughs> oh, your teachers. <laughs> Mm, we may have we'll to have a talk after this. Earlier. Oh, man. So we appreciate it. Michelle is our Director of Clinical Excellence here at LOPA, and you can hear why. So, Michelle, thank you for your time, and thank you, R-Cubed, and how you help to make life happen. Thank you. Joey, let's talk about Nicholas Jordan Crazy-Oquan. I say crazy because that was his Mm -hmm. nickname. I'm interested to learn more already. But he is the hero that we are honoring during today's podcast. He was a senior at Pine Prairie High School, played football, so big sports guy. He wore number 23, and again, nickname was crazy. He ranked 8th in District A for tackles. That's a good thing, right, Uh, Mr. Sports Guy over there? Started playing baseball at just five years old. We love those prodigies and played one year in, in high school as well. He was well liked, he was the basketball homecoming senior prince. That was pretty awesome. And he was a very protective older brother of five children. So um, just very close to his family, you know, just a cutie. And you can see his picture and read his story if you go to Lopa.org and click on Faces of Donation. But what happened was in November of 2010, Jordan was on his way to pick up his two sisters from after-school activities, and there was a motor vehicle accident, and he suffered head trauma. So November 20th, 2010, that's the day he gained his angel wings and became an organ donor. And what the family likes to highlight is that it was his decision to become an organ donor when he turned 18. And that's a very important decision for the family and for those lives that he saved. So his family says they're very proud of that decision, and it brings them great peace, especially right after the accident. And so they say, we know that Jordan lives on through the recipients. He will forever live on in our hearts. And there was only one word to describe Jordan. And they say, that's beautiful. And guess what? The whole world got to see that, right?
1: That's right. That's right. He was uh, actually honored in the Rose Parade just a year ago. His floor graph was put on on one of the floats. Those are flowers and plant materials Mm -hmm. like seeds and things that they, they turn into a beautiful picture. And his his uh, face, oh, which is I've, amazing. I've seen it many times in our, in our office, how beautiful his fluorograph was. And it was just a, an amazing thing for them to go out and be part of that whole Rose Parade experience.
0: Uh, it, it's awesome. And I love that the world gets to see these are the faces. So when you think about donation, think about these faces right here and make that decision. So at this point, we do want to pause and we want to say thank you to Nicholas Jordan-Oquam. For the gift of life. Um, Joey, I am giggling because I'm looking at our question and answer for today, and seriously, I'm, this came through, but... I'm getting nervous. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> if I were you, I would be. But at one point, we had talked about Blue and Green Day, which yeah. is where people... Dress up. They do different things. um, Bow ties for their dogs to support donation. And I don't know if we were joking around. Something came up about Joey painting his nails blue and green in support, right? So that must have come up in conversation. So the question is, did Joey paint his nails (laughs) blue and green for Blue and Green Day? So I, I mean, curious minds want to know. And
1: (laughs) well. Not only did I paint my toes blue and green for the day, I painted them for the entire week. I had them painted for the entire week. As I feel like fact, you just dropped the mic there. I, I, I don't know. As a matter of fact, they're painted right now.
0: Is that right? I don't need to see. I don't need to see. Um, so here, here's my follow-up question. So you painted them yourself, your wife? My wife. Hel- oh, she helped you. And, and what a nice She's wife my you've
1: podi- got. My, my podiatrist. Is and, that right? Uh, yeah. What do you call those things? She Pedicure. may say
0: something else. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I love
0: them. Oh, well, that's kind of that's cool. Okay, so I, I didn't think that he followed through. I thought that was just a joke, but kudos to you, Joe. Uh, But look, you don't have to wait until like Blue and Green Day, which usually hits in April. Um, You can do it year round. You can post pictures um, to our Facebook page, send them to the community educator in your area so we can pump it up. Donate Life Louisiana is our Facebook page. But we love it. We had a dog named Owen. His name is Owen Richard Lipsy. And he is the dog of Wendy Lipsy. So she's a recipient. But she had a bow tie. And now it's just so ingrained because they're so into donation. Mm -hmm. But she just picked up this bow tie because she loved it and it was blue and green and i said he has a blue and green bow tie she goes he sure does so awesome. so it's just ingrained that blue and green are our colors uh, so share that with us joey we need to have a sidebar um, uh, after this podcast but thanks for the questions uh keep them coming <laughs> All right, fantastic podcast, fantastic guests.
1: We had two fantastic guests. You know, of course, our own Michelle DuVernay, who was one of the ones that that helped spearhead the RQ changes, of course, partially due to my terrible handwriting. (laughs) You're part of
0: history, Joe.
1: Yes, and certainly we want to thank Vanessa Anderson, especially for her gift gift. That she gave Don her husband. She is such an amazing lady. It was she had such a vibrance about her. Firecracker. You know. Full of oh, energy. Yeah. I love it. So we, we want of to
0: thank
1: the two guests uh, for, for being part of our podcast today. Yeah.
0: And we do want to thank you for listening. If you can hear me right now, please spread the word about the Gifted Life podcast. Um, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, all that fun stuff. Donate Life Louisiana so that we can help save more lives. And listen, I've had a lot of requests to go into the classroom, which we work with the teachers. We're on a flexible schedule. So if you want to work us into your curriculum, lopa.org slash speaker you will be paired with the community educator nearest you so that we can spread the facts about organ donation but overall we just thank you for for joining us for being part of this podcast and for doing what you can to make life happen thanks for listening here on the gifted life